Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad that you are joining us for another hope-filled message. And our prayer is that you are encouraged by this powerful Sunday sermon. Good to see you, Luke. It's better to see you, Pastor Paul. How many get the joy of doing life with their children all the way through and just, you know, I, I look at our kids, look at Pastor Luke, not just as my senior pastor, tells me what to do, it's payback time, good to know, but he's one of my closest best friends and uh, just to get this and if you're visiting today, whether you're online or here in the service, you may not be aware but had some major challenges over the last couple of years. And even in fact, this week, I had a moment where I had a brain freeze where you just forget and you just can't work things out. And But that's okay. We just pray our way through it. And then, come on. God hasn't rung the final bell yet, so I've still got something to do. And uh, we've all got something to do and make a difference with. Amen. I think people could probably just by the look of the two scalps up here realise we're related. I was just looking at the screen behind and I thought, hmm. Well, actually, I ought to speak about that, not <laughs> our hairdos, but uh, you are what you follow. Think about that for a moment. So uh, in life, it's a little bit like that. And uh, if you are visiting, I want to share, or we're going to share today. And thank you to the team. I think we should just say thanks for your commitment to building worship and building the sense of the presence of God. But uh, I want to pose a question, and whether you're online, you're in one of the locals, you're here in service today, um, whose slipstream are you in? What are you following? What is determining? And we're in the series on discipleship, which really is a challenging series. Yeah, this year on Come Follow Me is we go on this journey of what does it mean to follow Jesus and what does that look like? It really is about a personal consideration as to how well we are following him and how well we are having others follow us as we do the same. Yeah. So we're going to begin in Mark chapter 10. And as I've done before, I'm finding it very hard to read. So if you've got a hard area in your life, bring somebody else into it to help you with it. So And also that gives Pastor Luke the opportunity, if I get off on doctrine, he can realign us and keep us in. Just a joke, it's just a bit of fun. But let's read, come on, from Mark chapter 10. Awesome, it says this, Mark 10, 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Verse 21 goes on, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Verse 22, but he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. In other words, he was following the security of this life. Possessions was the major influence in who he was. And again, discipleship is really about a priority change. It may get a little quiet at times in this message, but God is looking for us to follow him. Jesus followers is really the text, or not the text, but 
the title to this message, to become a Jesus follower. I've discovered in life you can have a belief in Jesus but not be a follower of him. You can go to church, you can say, hey, I'm kind of a religious person. Or people often say, are you a religious person? I say, I'm not religious, but I am a Jesus follower. I think even the word Christian today can be used in so many different contexts. Or I'm a Christian. What does that really mean? That you can be a Christian, but not be a Jesus follower. And God is looking for us to get in his slipstream because when we do, then the promises of God are outworked in our lives. We see the power of God coming into focus. And so with all of that, the challenge is for all of us, not just to be a believer, but to become a Jesus follower. Go on with Luke chapter 9, because Scripture is so powerful, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So am I prepared to lose what I love about this life? Am I prepared to say, well, God, if I'm going to follow you, Jesus said, leave your life behind to the disciples and come follow me. Looking back now, 64 years of age, and obviously in the last, it's almost 23 months now, finding out that from a medical perspective, you've got terminal cancer. You can only a short period of time to live a maximum at the beginning of three months. But by God's grace, we're 23 months into the journey. And, uh, but looking back, and when you face death, obviously you come to a point where you say, well, what's the most important thing to do? If I've got a limited time span, which by the way, we all have here on earth, What is your most important thing? And I've come back again and again through my life, and this is another season where you go, well, what's the most important to me is who I am following. What life am I living? If the things of this world all come to an end, then I want to be at that place where I am doing what God asked me to do. Because if I'm in the slipstream, if I'm a follower of Jesus, then the promises of Jesus become mine. The wonder of peace, the wonder of the intervention of God, even in the most difficulty, that gives us strength to stand and to move forward. So as a Jesus follower, I think there are some thoughts that I want to bring. And I was thinking through what would be my top five. And then I thought, no, I need top 10. I've got so many thoughts coming through that I would look back on 64 years and say, hey, guys, think about this. One of the things that I believe is important as a Jesus follower is that we prioritize God-rich environments. And as I was writing this down, I thought, you know, I've spoken about that a little bit of late, and I always come back to God-rich environments because if you're in a God-rich environment as a Jesus follower, you're in the environment where Jesus is. And that proximity is what begins to change your perspective when the things around you go AWOL. When things around you come that are not expected, that have even a terminal prognosis, it's like, well, what do I do in the middle of that? And that whole thought of God-rich environment, Pastor Lou, is a challenge for us sometimes to prioritize that. Yeah, and I think we can be guilty at feeling guilty that we're not having 
enough God-rich environments, but I love how you put that. It's about a prioritization. So it's not a all the time. We, we live in this world, but we are not of this world. And so the challenge is that we've got to prioritize the God-rich environments. I mean, Jesus modeled that, right? Yeah. He was in this world, but then he would take moments where it's like, no, this is more important. I need time with God. So he withdrew. And I think that's the danger of our day and our age is forgiveness is free because Jesus has already done it, but salvation cost him everything. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to discipleship, we've got to understand that there will be cost attached to prioritizing God-rich environments. Yeah. And I think when it comes to priorities, any priority you put in your life, this is what I've discovered over many years of just living life, is priorities require pre-decisions. It's like, you know, I know I, I need to get fitter, so I'm going to start going to a gym. Well, if you're going to make that a priority, you've got to pre-decide because when it becomes the morning for the gym, or before you comes out a dessert you didn't expect, you've got to have a pre-decision going on. One of my pre-decisions have been of late. I want to get down to a certain weight, and so I've made the decision, I'll be on scales every day. Why would you do that? You get depressed. At the start, you're right. You get very depressed. But when you make a pre-decision, that gives the priority. How many know there's some pre-decisions we're going to make? If we're going to make a shift of priority, if Jesus' followers make a pre-decision that they're going to make Him their priority, they're going to make His way, His word to be the strength of who they are. And again, this whole thought of being in God-rich environments. Uh, looking back, 64 years on, I go, how is it that mum and dad who had eight kids, four boys, four girls, in their own ways all have a faith in Jesus. You go, wow, that's pretty cool. Every human being has got the ability to make their own decision. So they can be in the best environment. Let me just put that out there and people can go off course because they make a decision to do it. They haven't made it their priority. But all of us were in church every morning, every night growing up. We didn't get a choice as a teenager, if you don't come to church, you don't eat. All right, we'll come to church. But all of us were in church the whole way. Mum and dad grew up in a Dutch reformed environment, which was a must do. It wasn't about relationship, it was about fear. And so they did it out of fear, but then they came to know Jesus and they embraced the fact that they knew religion. Now they have a relationship for Jesus, so they want to go Jesus' way, and that whole thought. Pastor Luke, read from Psalm 27. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Hey, this is King David. Talk about a busy man. Talk about somebody that could have lived the rest of his life under the feeling of failure. Talk about somebody that have every excuse as to why they couldn't be in church. One thing. I wonder if I presented this, I've used this many times through my life, 
if you had one choice to make of what you wanted in this life, what would that be? David learned, one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord every day of my life. The summer days, the winter days, the light days, the dark days. The challenge of all of that is so, you know, these last 22 months, 23 months, I've had heaps of dark days. Days where I couldn't read. I had one of those days yesterday where it's like I couldn't remember things. Everything was in confusion. And I thought, God, I'm just going to have to hand this over to you. And I said to Marie, I'm going to bed and I'm going to believe when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to be cognitive enough to speak. And I want to encourage every person, you're going to have dark days. You're going to have days where things are well out of your human control. But what do you do? You don't run away from. You don't hide from. You bring it to the surface. As I said, I don't feel like I have to have Luke up here. But in one sense, I do have to because of my memory can go all sorts of ways because I've had two major brain ops. And the oncologist can't believe how well I can do with those brain ops. But I choose because it's like the power of a Christ follower, a Jesus follower, is that he's a part of God-rich environments. How much time do you spend in the God-rich environment? When was the last time you read the Bible? When was the last time you worshipped without the worship musicians? When was the last time you just said, okay, God, I'm coming back to your promises and I'm Pastor Marie, she just reads out over and over again three scriptures God gave me in a hospital bed when I couldn't have any idea as to what was going on. The, the prognosis had just come and going in for surgery. She gave Three scriptures came into my head and I didn't even know what they were related to. I wrote them down and then we began to read every one of those scriptures spoke to the darkness I was in. God-rich environments are so good. You know, environments, by the way, shape futures. If you get nothing else, get this in this thought around God-rich environments. Your environment shapes futures. Your kids' environments shape their futures. That's why in today's society, I'm not saying you have to, but if you don't have your kids in a Christian environment, in their education, it's shaping their futures. All of us need to really embrace that and work with that. Groups are important. Yeah, and I, th I think that the truth is we know this to be true, but children follow more of what we do than what we say. Yeah. And I'm learning that as a parent, and so we've got we've to realize that discipleship is not just about following Jesus. It's about understanding those closest to us are now following us. And so our decisions do matter, and God-rich environments are only benefits. Yeah to the future of our lives and our children's lives for sure. I think the second thought I'd like to give you as a Jesus follower, by the way, when people say, are you a Christian? I don't even like using that word anymore because Christian can mean so much. It's like, oh, you're a faith person. No, I'm a Jesus follower because it brings it back to, am I living like Jesus? Are you living like Jesus? So let's prioritize God-rich environments, but also 
The other key, I would say, to being a Jesus follower is making a daily life-giving deposit. Every day, making a decision, I'm going to deposit something that's life-giving. So what did I find in those early days of the prognosis? I made a decision. I said, Jesus, I've always tried to share my faith with people that would listen. At that point, when my life had possibly three months to go or only a very short period of time, I said, I need and I want to make every connection with a human being a life-giving deposit. That doesn't mean that I'm going to go and Bible bash them. Some of you are Bible bashing your kids, pushing them away. No, just a life-giving deposit. You say, what does that mean? It means you're just going to share something. You're just going to make sure you're bringing something of the essence of Jesus into everybody that you meet. If you're sitting in church, you're going to make a life-giving deposit. Good preaching, Pastor. No, you're going to go, man, that's cool. I like that thought. Come on, life-giving deposit. You, you say, well, yeah, but I'm not like you. I'm not fluent. Well, I'm not that fluent at the moment either. You know one of the greatest life-giving deposits I make when I first meet people? Just a smile. I can't tell you how many people say, that smile changed my life, changed my attitude, draw me, drew me closer to Jesus. You've all got the ability to make a life-giving deposit. Come on. That's why if you're just in a church having to shout out, yeah, great, yeah, love, and manufacturing it, that's not what I'm talking about. A life-giving deposit. Let it be real. Let it be honest. This is a life-giving deposit. Having Pastor Luke with me because it's teaching people, you don't have to have it all together. Just use others around you. Make a life-giving deposit. So important. It is. And as you've always said, only planted seeds actually produce. Yeah. And so we've got to realize that as we make a deposit, there will be growth on the other side of that seed. But it says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus speaking, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It doesn't take much in this day and in this age to be uh, countercultural by a smile or giving someone time or noticing the name on their name badge. And actually, a small deposit can have a generational impact. You've always taught that. It's somebody that was doing a little job on something that I needed attention to. And uh, we got to talk and uh, they said, uh, so how's your week been? How, how's life going? And I just said, actually, I've got a medical prognosis of terminal cancer, but, you know, it's... Anyway, conversations just went after and I just... I'm bringing God into every situation that I have, whether it be by a smile or there's an openness to bring a fuller understanding of it. This guy then told me on about the fourth or fifth meeting that I had with him, he said, oh, uh, by the way, I think I found out a family member's got cancer. And I said, would you like me to go and visit them? Now, when I was doing what I used to do, which Pastor Luke's doing now, I didn't have time to visit every person. But I still could make a life-giving deposit somewhere. But I said to them, would you like me to come and just talk to them about it? Since that point, everything shifted in our relationship. Till the last time we met together, he stayed, he wanted to keep talking, I wanted to keep talking, so we kept talking, and then I heard him go off and then go to his next appointment and apologize for being late because he was talking to this guy who's been through cancer. 
And, uh, and I was like, then I heard him say to the guy, he says, oh, he's a pastor of a church, which I have never mentioned to him. And he's had cancer. And he began to go on. And I thought, just one seed. Every seed you have, your smile, you're going the extra mile for someone. You being there when other people vacate the space because it's too hard. You walking in a room when you don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. You can just bring your presence by being there. I want to encourage you, life-giving seeds. We're going to move on, don't we? Yes. But if I smile, do I get away with it? <laughs> Third thought. Again, Jesus follower. Anybody wanting to be a Jesus follower? Give me some encouragement. I think the third one is that we are to embrace, and it's interesting because this is a passion in my heart, God, uh, God's financial pathway. That's why in this church, it's not just all about paying the bills or getting people manipulated to give. No, there is a financial pathway for you to get freedom. And again, I wrote a book called God, Money, and Me, and uh, many people have responded, like I would say in the hundreds, if not thousands, of how it's transformed their whole understanding, generational view of finance. Do you know God wants you to have financial freedom? And you say, well, what do you talk about money? Because when you get financially free, you can fulfill every desire of your heart that God places there. We've got to work generationally, not just in now. You say, oh, yeah, but, you know, interest rates are going up. Work a financially freedom pathway. Walk that pathway, and you'll be able to weather every storm. You'll build generations, and if you don't know much about that, get in and learn about it. It's so important for all of us have that. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Hear it. You can't serve the financial or the rhythms of this material life or God's way. God is going to bring challenge. And he says, if you put me first in your finances, get the God money in book. And if you've got it, read it. And then begin to implement it for your children. That's why we did a kid's book, The Prince and the Secret Garden. Why? So we can help our kids and give parents a tool how to talk about money. Maybe you haven't succeeded in that, but get on the pathway. And follow it through, and you're going to see a breakthrough in that area. Uh, I was relating to Pastor Luke some time ago, you know, that uh, the story, how the treatment that I'm on is costing mega money. It's immunotherapy. I don't know. I think it could be somewhere in the vicinity of 40, um, sorry, 400,000 plus. And there is no way that we could afford that. But I personally made a commitment, Marie and I, that we wouldn't tell people about the need because we didn't want them to feel from a top-down pressure that we should contribute to it. And we just said, God, we're going to commit that to you. We've done what we can do. And, uh, and we're going to continue to put you first in all of this. And we're just going to believe that, God, you'll meet it. And as we did that, and as we just kept committed to giving to the other things, giving to... Again, even seeing all of the, the community vision fulfilled and everything else, somebody came up to us and said, you know, hey, uh, we don't want to be known by anybody. We don't want to do anything. And a number of people have just financially given towards that. And by the way, all of it's been paid for. Because somebody with, yeah, come on, let's thank God for that miracle. And that's... 
to date, of course, but they, they just said, look, we would like to take hold of anything that needs to be covered in that area. Hey, if you build God's house, if you follow Jesus, you become a Jesus follower. You do it God's way. I want to tell you, God will build. If you build my house, I'll build your house. That's not just a physical house to live in. That's a life. Whatever you go through, I'll meet you there. I'll come and bring that truth to you. And I think that's powerful. Yeah, and like you've always said, you know, we all want fruit, but fruits require roots. <laughs> yeah. And the principled living is about the stuff that's not glamorous, but it's putting seed in the ground and allowing roots to be established so that the eventuation of growth takes place and the end result is fruit. And that has been obviously amazing for you guys to be yeah. able to see that at work. Yeah, and, tith and tithing is not about paying the church's bills. It's about positioning your financial situation now in God's authority. When you understand that, before you make a final decision, read through and discover God's financial pathway. And then finally, a Jesus follower is somebody that lives a, read that for me, Luke. Humility of spirit. Humility of spirit. I think out of all that I've said, I think this is one of the biggest work-ons we have in our society. Humility of spirit. Um, 64 years of age, 40 plus years of full-time ministry. 30, 32 years of leading life. People say, how come things have seen the blessing of God? I think one of them is definitely a relationship with Jesus as a priority. Second would be humility of spirit. What does humility look like? This is a challenge. This is a work on. This is something that we've got to really take into focus. Humility of spirit is a challenge. And by the way, our source is our supply. So this whole thought of when I'm humble in spirit, I never see my source as being what I've achieved. It's what God has achieved through the gifts he's entrusted to me. Humility of spirit says to a diagnosis that you're going to die early. It's like, well, I want God's purpose. It's the ability to say, no matter what happens, I'm not giving up and I'm not withdrawing or hiding because of that. I'm, I'm saying, God, I trust you with this. And this humility of spirit, there's a number of things. It prioritizes others. That thought of if you're a humble person, if you've got humility of spirit, you're always going to look for the betterment of others. Again, I'm absolutely wasted in the hospital. I'm almost disillusioned at that particular moment and another person comes into the, the hospital and they have got terminal cancer, but right, they've lost a limb, they've gone through a whole lot of things. It's like, even in this state, I need to do something. I need to be there and just encourage them somehow. Prioritizes others. It's like, yeah, but I'm not going to prioritize that person. I want what I need first. No, that's not humility of spirit. Huge challenge. It is. And Mark 9, verse 33 to 35 says, he came to Capernaum and when he said, uh, sorry, when he was in the house, he asked them, what is it that you've been disputing among yourselves on the road? They kept silent for on the road they had disputed amongst themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, he called the 12, and Jesus said to them, if anyone desires to be first, 
He shall be last of all and servant of all. Huge. Nothing wrong with being great. Jesus teaches us to believe, to see great things happen. But to be the greatest is where you've crossed the line and you're living outside of humility. It's like, this is the greatest church. Don't use that word greatest. It's a great church and thank God for that. But humility of spirit is a priority on others first. It also, humility uh, maintains a servant heart. Are you seen as the servant in your office? Are you seen as the, the one that will do the jobs that other people don't want to do? do you, I love our church. There are so many servants here. They're up here early. I see, walked in this morning early with Marie, and it's kind of like, look at all these people serving. They're just These are the champions that build life for what it is, a servant spirit. It's more than just something that is outside. You know, it became very real to me uh, when I, because of the seizure, wasn't allowed to drive for 12 months. And how many know when you're a control freak and you like to go fast and you like to access the park in one go? And Pastor Marie has to put up with somebody like that. We're both learning <laughs> to have a servant spirit. She says, if you keep on like that, you can get an Uber. <laughs> and that was a servant spirit moment. It was like, yeah, okay. Love you, honey. Great driving. Got all the time in the world. <laughs> Come on. It's part of the journey, isn't it? She got free driving lessons, though, every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love you, Mum. We love you, Mum. <laughs> She's the driver. She reminds me of that. And I say, yeah, I'm the driving instructor. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Humility also, it seeks accountability. Yeah. All right, let me go real quick. But this is, a, this is a message in itself. How accountable are you? Who can actually speak into your life the things that you need to hear? We're not in an accountability age. I'll do it my way. I'll do it the want. This is who I am. I'll have it the way I... No, accountability means you have a circle of friends that you trust and they will bring what you need to bring so that you can become a Jesus follower. Yeah, and it says in Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Counselors, not best friends. Not people you like to hear what you want to hear. A counsellor is somebody who's trained, has an understanding on the issue. When you go to your best friends or the people that will say what you want to hear, they aren't people that are trained to bring what you need to hear. So when you say, I'm going to be accountable now, this church has always been accountable to other people outside that have got runs on the board in the areas that we are needing advice from. All of us, who's your accountability source? Is it feelings? Shouldn't be. Is it your past? Shouldn't be. Come on, our accountability is to another Jesus follower who brings in the perspective that Jesus would have for us. And then we finally, humility surrenders to Jesus. 
You want humility? You've just got to keep saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, if you ring the bell in the next month and it's my time's gone and that's your will, then I know I've done everything that I'm on earth to do. I surrender to you. God, if this is happening, I know that you are able to change it. But if you're not, then I am going to stay in that place where you know best, not me. That's humility. When you get to that place, you find peace. You find a whole change of life. Again, Matthew 16 says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Everything, absolutely everything we get in this life, this human life, the air that I get to breathe, the ability to think, one day I'll have to let go of. If you're a parent, you've got the little baby, you've got a new grandson, cutest thing in the world. But because I've done a little bit of life, I realise there'll be a time where the parents will have to let that baby go. Everybody has to learn to let go. I reckon that's another message title. Learning to let go. What is God asking you to let go of to become a Jesus follower? And humility requires us to become that person. Come on, let's take a moment. The team are going to just sing a song, but I'd like you just in your own way, what you're comfortable with, just to still your heart, maybe close your eyes and just say, Jesus, I'm coming back to you. I, I've got some things I've got to let go of to embrace true humility. There are things that I need to surrender to you. I have to surrender it all to you. My past, my failures, my successes, everything. Because there will come a time where we will be forced to let go the things of this life. Because our life will end. But while we're doing it, to be a Jesus follower, right now God says let go as we worship. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I trust you're encouraged by this incredibly powerful word. You know, you've always got a place to call home here at Life, and I want to encourage you to join us in one of our campuses in Auckland or Tauranga, or why don't you join us at Church Online. To find out more about life and to stay connected with us, why don't you visit lifenz.org.